sex trafficking doesn't just happen over there. Sadly, domestic sex trafficking involving minors is a huge problem in the United States, and it's getting worse. The sex trafficking of America's children is going on right under our noses. The purpose of our discussion today is twofold, to bring understanding about how America's children are taken captive into sex trade, and to bring hope and light to one of the darkest subjects in our world, child sex trafficking. Today, I'm interviewing Alisa Jordheim, author of Made in the USA, The Sex Trafficking of America's Children. She's the founder and executive director of Justice Society, a nonprofit organization that connects people and strategies to advance justice. You won't want to miss today's program. This is Kay Meyer, president of Family Shield Ministries, and your host for today's program. Thanks, Elisa, for being our guest today on Family Shield. Well, thank you, Kay, and thank you for being willing to talk about this difficult uh, subject matter. It is a difficult topic, isn't it? So you wrote the book, Made in the USA, The Sex Trafficking of America's Children. Uh, Tell us why you wrote that book. Well, um, we are, I assume that most of your listeners are faith-based as well, but to be quite honest, I wrote the book solely because I really felt um, kind of a direction from the Lord to write a book. And the truth was, Kay, as I was in prayer time, and I really felt a mandate, if you will, to write it, I had a little conversation with God in my prayer, and I said, we don't need one more book on this subject. I've read all of them, and we don't need one more. How would this book be different, and to what purpose and what end? And, um, you know, as I began to just really spend time contemplating and praying about why would I write a book, I'm not even a dynamic writer, although I think it's a pretty good book. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, But it took every ounce of fortitude and working with a great team I kind of put around me to to make this book a reality. But I did it because I felt I was called to do it. Yeah, absolutely. It is. It is. I I can't say that I was happy to read it because I was appalled at a lot of the things I was reading. But we need to know uh, that this is happening. So sex trafficking is a growing global problem. And it's just behind the drug trade in revenue. Why has there been such an enormous growth in this in recent years? Well, that's such a good question that I've actually asked a number of law enforcement, why children, why the sex trade. But what I believe is happening, uh, Kay, one of the big drivers, large drivers, is the Internet. Mm. Um, what we find, and I'm going to back up to your original question of, of why is this growing, what we're finding is that actually um, the FBI is finding that gangs are using child sex trafficking, predominantly child trafficking, but human trafficking and sex trafficking above drugs, because I don't know if your readers have heard, but, or your listeners, but what we hear often is that, you know, you use a drug once and it's disposed of, it's finished, but you have a person that you can use over and over. And that's what they're finding is that these kids, they can keep them for a couple of years if they survive that long and they can make considerable money on them. Mm. So I, I believe with 
you know, the different organizations. And when I say, you know, mafia, Russian mob, all of these different things, MS-13, these gangs are really moving into this because it's lucrative. And there are a lot of vulnerable young women out there. And when I've asked, how, why is this happening with our children? It truly is the vulnerability. And I believe access now on the internet has played a significant role as well. Interesting, interesting. Well, one of the very unique things about your book, uh, besides all of the statistics and the information and how it works and what's happening, which we'll get into in a minute, is that you actually have stories written by actual victims that have all now gotten out. And you, by them writing these stories, or you interviewed them, I'm not sure how that works, you, you, you really understand what they go through and how horrific it is in the process. And uh, we're going to learn more about that. But uh, one of the things you say is that the average victim is a female between 10 and 18 years old. Why so young? 10 years old, 11, 12? Well, again, it it goes back to the vulnerability issue. And a prime example of that, Kay, would be we're seeing a lot of these kids enticed online. In fact, one of the cases I I worked on when I was uh, assisting the Dallas uh, court systems was a young girl who had met a guy online. I think a young man online. She was I think she was 15 at the time, met him online. He befriended her on Facebook. She just opened an account. He then tells her, let's, let's communicate on Kick, which is another social media site that a lot of teens use. They move over and start communicating on this site, and he introduces him to another friend of his who he says, um, you know, is his cousin. And anyway, this whole, within 48 hours, this little girl is entrenched in kind of this dialogue communication and becoming a, in a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship with someone she's never met and, uh, you know, doesn't even know when he's calling her babe and she's calling him babe back and he wants new pictures and he's threatening her. In 48 hours, this all happens. Mm-hmm. Now, when we sit in the courtroom as adults and we hear that story and the questions that he asks her and the dialogue he's engaging her in, we say, oh, my gosh, this guy is a predator. You know, he red flags all over. But when you're 15... Mm-hmm. You don't see those red flags. You don't know them. You don't understand them. You're vulnerable. And this guy actually ended up very shortly after um, saying, if you don't send me new pictures, I know where you live, because she had GPS on her phone. Mm-hmm. He sent her a map of where she lived, and he said, you don't send me nude pictures. I'm going to go over, and I'm going to hurt your family. Mm-hmm. She sent nude pictures, thinking that he would stop. Mind you, Kay, this all happened within 48 hours. She sent him a topless picture, thinking because of the um, immaturity, you know, lack of understanding, that he would comply with what he said and he would stop. Well, as we all know as adults, she's just sent him a nude photo of herself. Mm. And so now the threatening became worse and, you know, just degraded from there. And so I would say the number one factor is their vulnerability. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know today that we didn't know years ago is that children's brains are not completely... finished growing until they're 25 years old. So now we understand why young children don't think things through. Their brains just aren't. The reasoning is the last thing to to finish developing. They don't always think things through. 
And that really can be a good tool when you're talking with even not just adults, but even older. If you're talking with 20-somethings that don't quite understand, you know, why this is happening to young kids is really talking. The science piece of that is just saying, really, the frontal lobe is not developed and the ability to, to rationalize consequences and um, very emotional, very prone to very radical decisions. It's a part of the science. So that's another thing, too, you can even use with young kids and say, look, honey, okay, it wasn't the best decision, but you know what? This is what it looks like when you're that age. You know, really, you're not even fully developed in those areas. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So how many children in the United States are exploited through either pornography or prostitution? Well, you know, the numbers vary from 100 to 300,000 a year. And I have to tell you, when I look at that number, I say, that's quite a disparity. Is it really 100,000? Is it 300,000? The truth is we really don't know, Kay, but the numbers are large. We had 17,000 a year that the FBI has said, the data say, are brought across the border, which would be international trafficking. But within the United States, and that's a low number, there are a lot more than that. But within the United States, we really don't have firm numbers. That's what we're recognizing is that those numbers need to be developed because a lot of times these kids aren't um, discussing the, their, their sexual, but they're not bringing into play that they've actually been trafficked. Right. So for they're a long a period secret. of time, we didn't mm-hmm. even know to ask those questions. Sure. Law enforcement didn't. Um, CPS, which would be Child Protection Services, every state that, that title is different, but the Protective Services Foster Care, just now we're starting to make that a part of the intake. When you first meet a child, the questions you would ask so that we can start collecting that data. And they're not always going to tell you the truth either. Oh, I mean, my gosh. Not yeah. even when you've worked with them for a while. Right. Because they're very, they've learned to survive. They're quite street savvy. Sure. Is because they've learned that they just protect themselves and their pimp. Yeah. Right? They're trafficker. And right. they, yeah, truth takes a while to come out. Has to be a trusted relationship. So you mentioned foster care. A lot of the foster care children are the ones. I know one of your stories was somebody that's a little girl that's grandmother died. She had been living with her, and then in high school she was all alone, no family, and uh, how very vulnerable they are. That's right. In fact, you know, Kate, probably twenty years ago when I was in my twenties. Uh, and uh, must have been longer than that. I'm 50, my 50s now. But at the time, I worked at the uh, youth shelter in Seattle, Washington, downtown. And I didn't realize it at the time how many of those kids had been trafficked. They'd stay in squats, which would be houses, empty houses or abandoned buildings. And there would be predominantly men who would go to those places and say, hey, do you want to stay on my couch? Do you want to stay at my house? And they were doing it to either receive sex from the child or to farm the child out to somebody else for sex. Mm. And so these kids that are homeless, they're either a runaway or they're maybe couch surfing, just going from home to home like this young lady in the story was, are extremely vulnerable. They're not in the system yet. Mm-hmm. These kids aren't, but they are. They should be in the system, right? They should be getting help. But for the most part, they're not reaching out. They're just finding their way out on the streets. Yeah, yeah. So in your book, you provide a list of prevailing factors that make a child vulnerable to sexual exploitation. What are some of those? Well, again, uh, 
family dynamic, so mm-hmm. if they're homeless or runaway, that's one of the highest factors. Mm-hmm. If you have any kind of sexual abuse within the home, victimization like that, that's mm-hmm. a high factor. If they have runaway, what the Dallas department I worked with found is that if a child has run away three or more times, they are highly vulnerable to this because, as we discussed, they're out on the street somewhere or they're, you know, in need. So that's what a trafficker and pimp are always going to look for is a child in need. So if they've had a family member who has been involved in prostitution as well, that brings the factor a little higher. So those are some of the highest drivers. Mm-hmm. So your book shares deeply disturbing stories of young people that were exploited by sex trafficking. What struck you the most in your interviews with these victims? Wow, struck me the most. Well, maybe just I'm, one of them, because just so the listeners kind of know what each story is different, you know, because each one was different. But uh, um, just the and I I said to several people, I, I couldn't put the book down, but it was very disturbing to read these children and how they got involved. The one little one was only seven years old when she was sent to her grandparents' home and a step-uncle molested her. And every year, every summer when she went back, that happened over and over for many years. And even when she told her mom, her mom didn't believe her or just wrote it off. That was just appalling to me to hear those kind of things. But it also makes it real where I say, oh, my gosh, this is really happening. This isn't just way out there, but it's right here in our backyard. Sometimes we don't realize it. Yeah. Well, I would say, and you and I had a little chat before we started the interview, and I think we'd be in agreement here. The the story that I had the hardest time of just kind of staying strong in is the little seven-year-old because it was her own family that trafficked her. That is a very difficult scenario when you're recognizing the people that should be protecting. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you mentioned that the young girl, she was probably about 15 at the time, I think she'd mentioned it to her mom and she'd been going back year after year. Now, not only was the uncle molesting her, but he was actually putting she and her, her cousin who was the same age online and, and selling them. So, but what the young girl did was she finally starts to tell her mom, she's on the phone with her mom, who's in a different state. She says, mom, you know, really, I want to come home. I don't, I I don't want to stay. And the mom says to her, I've been reading your diary. And of course, the 15-year-old appalled, you've been reading my diary, which isn't the biggest problem. The biggest problem is the trafficking. And the mom says to her, honey, men will be men. And I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact words, but either boys will be boys or men will be men. If you just go with it, it will be easier for you. Mm. Now, she'd been talking about rape and being trafficked. So what you see here, Kay, is clearly a mother who probably experience something very similar. I, th- I wondered about that tends myself. To be the case. Yeah. There tends to be some component of sexual abuse within the house or the family dynamic already. Mm-hmm. So it's minimized by the parent as somewhat normalized. You know, if you have a parent who's been abused all their life, like we know with kids, if you've been abused, the first thing your abuser is going to tell them is this happens in every family. Mm-hmm. This is normal. Yeah, it's normal. You know? Yeah, so. that's horrible. Yeah. yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. I want to make just a few announcements and then we'll come back and continue 
uh, talking about the book, Made in the USA, The Sex Trafficking of America's Children. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Victim Validated Victorious. To request a complimentary copy, call the Family Shield Response Center at 1-877-250-8416 or email witness to family at gmail.com. Please make sure you give us your complete name and address when you write our call. The Family Shield radio program airs on more than 50 radio stations each week throughout the United States and is also available through our podcast. We invite your prayers and support for the ministry. If you'd like to support us, send a gift to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. You can also donate on our website at FamilyShieldMinistries.com. If you're a Thrivent financial member, you can designate your Thrivent Choice dollars to support Family Shield. Go to Thrivent.com slash Thrivent Choice or call them directly at 1-800-847-4836 and one of their employees will help you. Remember, you choose, but Thrivent gives the gift. We want to thank you again for listening to Family Shield and for your prayers. This is Kay Meyer, host for Family Shield. Again, I want to go back to our guest, Alisa Jordheim, author of Sex Trafficking of America's Children. And we were talking about some of the stories, especially you mentioned the difficulty when it's actually family members that get them involved in the sex trafficking. Horrific just horrific. For me, with a ministry trying to strengthen families, <laughs> that was just hard to hear and understand that that happens that much. I had no idea that it was that prevalent. But um, you also write that most trafficking victims die within seven years of being trafficked. Why? What, what causes that? Well, there are a number of factors, Kay, in that. Think of the um, environment first. So you're talking about having sex with strangers multiple times in a day, you know, anywhere from five to ten to more. And when there's a sexual dynamic, especially because the adult knows they're having sex with a child, that's illegal, that's uh, that's perversion, that's all of those pieces. So now there's a component where they're already doing something illegal. So there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of... uh, rape components. I mean, you know, we can, we can, we have an idea what that means. So just a lot, a lot of violence. A lot of these kids are not being cared for. So they're staying with a pimp. So they're not eating well. Likely they're not getting any medical dental attention. And very possibly they haven't even had that in their lives before. It's hard to say. Some come from families that do, but others come from very broken families where they're not getting any kind of care. Then you're talking about extreme trauma that equates to PTSD of soldiers on the battlefield. That's what they found. A lot of these kids, it's complex trauma. It's not a one-time singular event. It's a compilation of events that's happened for a long time. So then you're contending with a lot of suicidal ideation, um, self-harm, self-hatred, a lot of things. And so it's health, it's emotional health, and you know, everything from murder to STIs to mm. suicide. Mm, mm, mm. Oh, my. 
So uh, we haven't talked about the male sexual abuse, but in your book, you you don't just say it's girls, women, but usually children, uh, but also uh, male sexual sexual abuse. So is that underreported, and how big of a problem is it? Yes, it's extremely underreported. Um, and the primary reason is that young men do not come forward because of the homosexual component. I'd say now with the culture, <clears throat> that might change, be changing a little bit, especially within the last year, the cultural dynamic of um, homosexuality being accepted within our nation and those things. But, but for the most part, a lot of these boys are not homosexual. They are heterosexual young men that are being raped by other men. So there is a shame factor where girls will tend to come forward a little bit more um, if they're in a safe space. Boys don't because they're ashamed of that homosexual element. What I have found as well, Kay, is that, and I've, I've talked with a number of men about this, is that often the body of a young child will respond, and it responds in a way that makes the child think, and the perpetrator telling them, you liked this and you wanted this. And so when um, they're even with adult rape survivors, that's a very difficult part to get through when the body responds in a way that's contrary to how you feel or you're thinking. It feels like it's betrayed you. And so a lot of times these young boys do not come forward. As well as with the young men, they typically don't work with uh, traffickers. They, and that's not always the case, but typically they are street children. They are kids who are living on the street who are doing what's called survival sex, a lot of the girls do this as well, but for a lot of times with the boys, that's the case. So they're having sex to get a meal, get a place to stay, and a lot of that. So it looks different. They don't have a trafficker, per se, okay. that is the one person that's holding them captive. It can happen, but often these kids are doing this as a way to survive on the street. Mm. So in terms of healing from the abuse, you say restoration is not a destination. It is a journey. What do you mean? Well, it's not a, a you know, like any kind of trauma that we experience. It's typically not a one-time prayer, not a one-time session. When you've had complex trauma of this nature, you have to really get to the roots with these children. Let's say a child who, like the young lady we talked about, that started being trafficked at seven. Extreme trauma, extreme abuse to her mind, her body, and all of those things. Well, as they age, often what trauma does is it keeps you stuck somewhat in the age or the thinking process or the place that the trauma really set in. And so when we're talking about a restorative process, they might still have bad dreams. They might have self-hatred that has to be worked through. They might have distrust that needs to be brought out. They might um, say, where were my parents? Mm -hmm. And if, if faith is brought into it, when you start talking about a good father who loves you, if a child has a father who didn't protect them or a father who was actively involved in this, that's their connotation of father. That's their connotation of help. That's their connotation of, of an adult figure or someone in um, in leadership, who they they learn to distrust, and so it just there are a lot of different factors. It's kind of the onion, peeling the onion, right? Mm -hmm. Getting layer to layer to layer to what were the root issues and what are the things that really need to be healed. Because these kids are not quick to tell their stories unless they want to give you shock factor, which they'll do, and they'll do that to see if you'll stick around. 
but it takes them a while to let that barrier come down because their value has been in their body, right. their sexuality. And so learning that their value is in who they are as, you know, children of God, as, mm. as daughters, as friends, as all of that takes quite a while. Wow. That's a whole story in itself. So you also talk about some of the red flags to watch for when identifying a potential victim. And as I finished your book, I was thinking teachers need to be better educated. Church leaders need to be better educated. Parents, of course. But there are people, social workers. Um, uh, What are some of those red flags that we should be watching for? I know as I read through it, I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I can think back when I was teaching a couple kids that I'm like, "Mm, always wondered about that. Maybe that was what the issue was and never, ever gave that a thought at the time. Right, right. Well, then that's the case with all of us. Well, let me say, Kay, that now there is a lot of good education coming forth because we're starting to recognize over the last several years, this is really an issue and it's an issue with our kids. So so red flags to look for would be things like, is your child, um, do they have multiple phones? Are they starting to change in their dress. And when I say factors to look for, this might be what a parent would look for. Are they communicating with someone they don't know, monitoring social media? As hard as that sounds for some parents, it is vital in this day and age. You have to know who your kids are talking to. If you're talking about just being on the street, and I did at one time find a little girl, but I thought, I think she's being trafficked. Mm. I was at a hotel, and I saw that she was with a man and another little girl that she didn't know very well. Does the person know who they're with? Does the person know the city they're in? Does the young child have appropriate clothes for the day um, or, you know, even the season? Are they, um, you know, acting fearful or very quiet? And are they being controlled by someone who's older or someone else is speaking for them? Do they have key cards to hotels? Are they using language in the sex industry? All of those kinds of factors would be a good key that you might want to go to somebody, either, you know, law enforcement or somebody. I was in a hotel at the time. Go to the leadership of the hotel and just say, front desk, and just say, something's off about this. Let's contact someone. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. So much. Let me just I- encourage our listeners to to get a copy of this book, Made in the USA, The Sex Trafficking of America's Children, and uh, give it to your church library to your school library, let people know that this resource, along with many resources toward the back of the book uh, that have, you know, other agencies that are dealing with the same type of topic, because it's it's a resource book. I mean, there's we shared stories and some of the stats, but there's many wonderful resources in your book. Just a quick uh, comment as we close the program, Alisa. Oh, yes. Well, I would say don't lose hope. Mm. I mean, this looks like a one of those things that you say, you know, how do you attack an elephant, you know, mm-hmm. one bite at a time kind of a thing. And everybody has a piece in this. And if you can't go out and rescue kids, that's okay because some people are called to that. Do what you can do about this, but recognize it's a true um, issue. Have your eyes open and uh, do, if you feel called to to do this kind of work, do it with what you're passionate about. If you're an artist... You know, do some artwork and, and donate it to a facility, or there's a hundred things you can do. So thank you, Kate, for making this decision now. Our guest today is Elisa Jordheim. She's the author of Made in the USA, The Sex Trafficking of America's Children. 
Alisa, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, Again, Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. To learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield. Family Shield.